So welcome both of you. If we start by telling us a little bit about your backgrounds and about Margaret Pike's work in general. So start with you, Karina. Yeah, thank you so much, Jack. Thanks for having us on your uh, Restore Our Planet um, podcast today. Uh, Sarah and I are really happy to be here and to tell you a little bit about the work we do, about how we got here, how we got to the Margaret Pike Trust. So Margaret Pike Trust is an organization that was started by Margaret Pike uh, in the uh, 1960s here in the UK. And Margaret Pike was the family planning pioneer in the UK. Um, and originally the organization obviously worked on anything regarding updates and contraception, uh, reproductive health, research, and training. And that training still uh, takes place today and is one of the fundamental work streams of the organization. But uh, at the turn of the last century, the focus of the organization really switched, obviously, from the UK to areas in the world where there's much greater uh, and more significant family planning needs. And what research has shown and what a lot of the organization's work and partners working in the same area, what the work has shown is that often the areas in the world where the family planning needs are greatest are also those areas of the world where there are very complex environmental challenges, um, including, uh, you know, harrowing effects of climate change, water scarcity, soil erosion. Those effects are being felt very heavily by, uh, you know, what we know as last mile communities. And those environmental challenges interact heavily with the health, gender, and livelihood challenges that Sarah and I uh, work on and that we're going to tell you about today. So the focus of the Margaret Pike Trust work looks at those areas where those challenges are overlapping and interacting. And the Margaret Pike Trust works uh, on the ground at the programmatic level. Uh, at the moment, uh, we're very active in Southwest Uganda, uh, which Sarah will tell us a lot about. And at the same time, we work at the advocacy level um, nationally and globally to raise awareness, raise understanding, and affect uh, global conservation and climate policy um, on the the fact that these issues are very much interlinked, and that particularly the removal of barriers to voluntary and rights-based family planning is an essential pillar of environmental conservation and is an essential part of holistic and strategic climate adaptation and resilience building strategies. So this is obviously a very niche area of work, though we like to think it's a very it's very much a growing area of work, which is you know really resonating in um, in uh, conservation circles such as the International Union for Conservation of Nature, within the UNFCCC climate policy. Um, so it's growing. Uh, but how did I get to this um, to this particular job? Why am I interested in it? So I have a background in development economics. Um, as well as a master's in uh, international public management, so in the management of public sector organizations, specifically um, organizations that work uh, in poverty reduction. So I began working at the United Nations Development Program um, in advocacy under what were the Millennium Development Goals, uh, which then became Sustainable Development Goals, and that got me interested in, yes, poverty reduction, but specifically in the role of women's empowerment and poverty reduction and in the important roles of partnerships. Um, so I started thinking about what, you know, how is women's empowerment linked to this women's education? And so th from there, I moved to another UN agency. I worked for the Food and Agriculture Organization, um, looking at women's role in rural uh, economies. So how are, how are women being empowered in rural economies? What are the jobs they are doing? How are they working uh, to improve their position within value chains to make sure that some of the very, very hard work they're undertaking, uh, how does that power and how does that wealth stay with women? Does it stay with women at all? Um, and you know, what, what kind of roles are women commanding in their households, in their communities um, and, and in the marketplace? Um, so I learned a lot uh, working in various West African countries and in India. And while I was doing that work, I also thought, hmm, these women are working, a lot of them carrying very small babies with them, working very hard in the fields, traveling long distances. How are they able to balance that productive side, which we all aspire to? We want to engage in income generating activities. Uh, whether you live in London uh, or, or, or or anywhere else in the world. Um, so 
I was, I got to thinking how, how are they able to manage that? Are they able to access the health services, especially the family planning that would allow them to choose if and when they'd like to have children, how they'd like to space those children. Uh, because as we all know, it's very much a function of, I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to have a child now, or I'd like to have a child in, in a year's time. And then you plan for that. You plan economically, you plan financially, you plan logistically. Um, but if you are not able to have that choice, um, then then that makes everything more difficult. Then it becomes difficult for you to be healthy, for you to have enough money to have a family. It becomes difficult to uh, make sure you can provide a, an education for those children, adequate and nutritious food, uh, etc. Um, and then it becomes a matter of survival rather than thriving. So that's how I got interested in um, family planning and how family planning interacts with uh, with the wider uh, scope of development and how does it interact with gender, livelihood, and environmental outcomes. So uh, this is my eighth year at the trust, and um, yeah, we're we're small, we're a relatively small organization, but we're definitely uh, a mighty organization. Lovely, thank you, Karina. And I'll say on to you. <laughs> Oh, yes. Um, I'm Sarah Mbabazi. I am, like I say, I'm a nurse, a midwife with uh, 15 years of experience working as a nurse in a rural setting where we serve the community of the poor. Uh, I'm from a family of eight children, so I'm the fifth born. So with that, I understand what it means when you have many children, how you care for them, how you have to deal with their day-to-day -day living. Uh, my first job, I worked as a pediatric nurse in a pediatric ward, and I saw lots of women being challenged, coming with Marinal's children, others coming with a whole family because they, they never had enough support. So even those who are not sick would be carried to the hospital. And that kept me thinking about family planning. And every time I would think about family planning. Uh, so when I upgraded, my mind was on family planning. So my interest, that's where it's been since 2012. I have been working with women voluntarily, offering the family planning, counseling, family planning uh, services, giving them contraceptives. Uh, yeah, so I came to know about Margaret Pike Trust while I'm doing that work as a family planning coordinator in a hospital, in a rural setting of Bwindi. Bwindi is uh, in Uganda, Bwindi, Benetrable National Park, if you know where Bwindi is found, that's the deep village where I was serving. And I was seeing how much family planning is of a need. And I used to feel not good if I was helping women access the services because it was a very, very, they were in a great need for contraceptives. So uh, Margaret Pike Trust, that's where I met the, them. That's where I got connected to them through the Windy Community Hospital. And I've been working with them now. I'm, I'm in my third year working at the trust as their staff. But before I was working with them, not fully employed, but on part-time on, on contract basis, helping in the education, educating other training other health workers in family planning. Maybe the bit which I didn't say, I am a national trainer of family planning. So I worked as a, as a trainer to other health workers. And then I became the Ugandan lead of the Margaret Pike Trust projects, uh, where we continue to advance family planning in Uganda in rural setting by educating the community, creating awareness and trying to, to, to reduce the barriers to accessing contraceptives, uh, which is really helping the women. Maybe as we go on, we shall share most of our, our success stories because it's been a success. I am happy. I feel satisfied that uh, what we are doing for the community is benefiting everyone, not just individuals, but we are really benefiting our communities. Yeah. So briefly, that's what I can say about myself and my work and how I came to work with Margaret Pike Trust. Fantastic. Thank you, Sarah. I actually think, um, continue there a little bit. Sarah, what are some of the things that these young women would learn um, through your education programs? And what are some of those barriers to contraception that, you, that you've mentioned? Uh, 
Oh yeah. So there uh, I I first found out there were lots of myths and misconceptions around the community that they were talking about uh contraceptives. So we address that by educate educating them. We through our community outreaches, we reach deep to the villages, we did we reach to the churches, educating them about the misconceptions. Uh, there are also barriers of main, main against contraceptives because they are also having the misconceptions from their fellow men. So we also have male involvement workshops where we educate the men. We have uh, a conversation where they freely talk to us what they feel about contraception. And then we try to, to educate them about the, the real facts, what happens when someone is using contraception. Then we found there is long distances, the areas, our areas, uh, they have to, to walk very far to reach the health facilities. So we, we address that by reaching out to even deeper communities to give them the services. Women have to walk longer to come to the hospital. And yet when they are coming for contraceptives, they are not sick. They don't feel like, ah, why should I walk all that long and I'm not sick? So maybe I don't need to go there. So that's why we are like, no, if we reach out to them, then we shall, we can benefit them better than if we call them to come to us to the facilities. Also, there are those who live in poverty. Even if they wanted to come, they would feel like, oh my God, how am I going to the facility? I don't have a, a, a nice cross to move with. I don't have transport to go with. I don't have money for lunch if I have to spend a whole day there. So poverty is also another barrier and others are uneducated, others are forced into marriage at an, an early age. So by the time they go there, they have no knowledge about reproduction. Um, yeah, others, there are other religious barriers where they feel like, oh, we have to produce and fill the earth. So we have to deal with the religious leaders to go mm -hmm. through them, to educate the community. Uh, then we also have the traditional beliefs, like, there are some cultures who still believe a woman is to produce. So we still have to go through the older people in the community to show them the reality about the use of contraception. Yeah, so that list is endless. There are lots of barriers which we are trying to, to work on by helping the community access contraception. All right, good, thank you. That's really, really insightful. Okay, so stepping out a little bit now. So Karina, um, Back to you, how does this look, look at a sort of a wider scale? Um, so stepping out a little bit more from what uh, Sarah's been saying, how does this look more sort of a national or sort of the, the wider insights, how it is for a lot of these women, what are they going through and where we're hoping to get to? Yes, absolutely. I think um, I want to connect what Sarah was saying, this very specific examples and the barriers uh, to rights-based and voluntary family planning that Sarah highlighted and put them in the context of, of the project that we are, um, the project that Sarah was describing. Oh, it's interesting, unique, and different about this project. This um, project that we're implementing in the southwestern part of Uganda is a DEFRA-funded project um, that looks to conserve the wetlands, the gray-crowned crane of Uganda, first and foremost, um, but at the same time, looks to improve health service provision in the southwestern part of Uganda. So it's really the first time that the UK Department for the Environment has funded family planning. Um, so this is this is a very interesting, very new, very unique uh, approach. So uh, the project aims to, con to conserve the wetlands and to conserve the gray crown crane, which is the national bird of Uganda. It's very important Um to the people of Uganda. And whilst there is a lot of conservation actions that are taking place and livelihood alternative and sustainable livelihood actions that are taking place under the project, what also takes place under the project is exactly the kind of work that um that Sarah has been doing, you know, for 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 many, many years and is and is rolling out uh for now in the in the eight communities that the project serves. But the idea is that um that this that that this will grow. And what's special about this approach is that a, a, a classic, um, a traditional conservation project would include only conservation actions. 
and would lead to conservation outcomes. And those conservation outcomes would be measured. What's different about this and is the, the added value of the integration is that those messages that Sarah was talking about, those health messages and those conservation messages, those are delivered in an integrated manner. So imagine you are you are one of these traditional men that Sarah was talking about. He uh, would only attend a community training if it was on a subject that he, he traditionally thought was relevant to him, such as alternative and sustainable livelihoods. If there was a single sector training on health or specifically family planning messages, that person would probably not attend. And for his wife might not attend because he it might be forbidden to her to attend a single sector uh, messaging event or or community event focused solely on family planning. But when those messages are delivered in an integrated manner, you attend a workshop or you uh, attend church or you attend uh, a, a specific community forum and you are being delivered, you are hearing all those messages uh, rolled into one, you're receiving all that information. So one of the great added values of integration is that you are able to access that information that you wouldn't normally access. And those kinds of project interventions are able to access cohorts of the population, which would not normally come out if the messaging was just around one sector. So that's what we talk about the added value of integration. And that's why there is a growing body of evidence that this type of approach leads to greater gender outcomes, greater health outcomes, greater livelihood outcomes, and greater environmental outcomes than a single sector uh, intervention would. And we are hopeful that this is what, what will be coming out um, of the Uganda project. And, and a lot is pointing, is pointing in that direction. So at the global level, um, there is a hope that this sort of integrated programming will become more the norm rather than rather than something that is funded by uh, by a few donors here and there and while the traditional funding will continue to be single stream siloed funding let's not forget that the sustainable development goals of the 2030 development agenda was hailed as an integrated development agenda and everyone was very excited and talking about integrated approach to development but it's still we're not seeing it in terms of implementing organizations working in an in a holistic and an integrated way funding streams being integrated funding streams and donors looking to fund in that way and policies that are that are integrating these issues so this is one example of what integration can look like in areas of the world especially last mile those rural communities that sarah was talking about this is what integration looks like in those last mile communities who are experiencing these complex development challenges so you say that margaret pike is essentially um working quite a new thing quite a new approach to development in that bringing in as you say integrated uh, issues means you're therefore addressing greater numbers, parts of the population that otherwise, due to circumstances of being more conservative or traditional cultures, you can bring everyone together and sort of, you know, address uh, family planning and conservation and, and potentially economic development all sort of together. Is that right? Rather than sort of, as you say, siloed off sort of men over here and girls over here. Is that, have I got that sort of more or less correct? Yes, you know? yes. Yes, absolutely. I think the this um, the fact that to access parts of the population that you wouldn't necessarily access. I think the example of the the integrated crane festival that you had, Sarah, um, last summer, uh, uh, women showing up at the at the integrated crane festival who would not have normally come out uh, and therefore accessed uh, information around family planning and perhaps other health services. They would not have come um, otherwise if it was just if it was just a single sector focused event. I don't know if you want to if you want to add more about that on Sarah about that, Sarah, because you you were actually at the Integrated Crane Festival and I and I wasn't, but I definitely heard about it. Well, yes, yes, Karina, thank you. Uh, so this this festival is uh, is was an exciting event where everyone felt like, oh yeah, let's go for the festival. This is about cranes. And then when they came, they found there was a health, a, a clinic, like a mobile clinic set up and very many accessed the services because they had come for other services. 
for mm. the festival and then they found the health clinic set up. So it's, it works well in the integration and most of our outreaches are integrated. They, we have the, the people from the environment section, then we have people from the health section, and then everyone is there accessing all the services. They have the teaching available. They have the health services, family planning, and uh, a clinician looking at other health problems. So the integration works well. People come in large numbers, they receive the education, they receive the health services. And so I would say it's, it really works in a unique way. Yeah, it does. Brilliant, great to hear. Um, okay, so Karina, back to you now. So tell us a little bit more about the link and the importance um, of family planning when it comes to sort of community and economic development. Of course. So. Um, Family planning fits into part of a bigger uh, women's empowerment piece and go, go really goes hand in hand with women's education. There is no, there is no country uh, that I can think of indeed that any of us can probably think of that has made a transition from being a low income country to middle income country, high income country that has not seen uh, an increase in the number of years that uh, women and girls go to school and an increase in the um, use of of family planning, of modern family planning methods. And therefore, we have not seen any transition from low to middle to high income country where birth rates have remained very high among women. Because what is invariably true is that as women have more options in life, they have more choices, they are more educated, they choose to have fewer children. It's always about choice. It's it's always about choice and it's about access to the different possibilities. But when women have the possibility to choose, when they are able to access education, the choices that they make are they choose invariably to have to start childbearing later on in life, because if they're in education, they also tend to get married later in life and therefore have children later in life and then have children that are spaced further apart. And therefore, throughout their life cycle, they have they have fewer children. They are engaging in income generating activities. They're more empowered. Uh, they're able they're able to have free time. They're able to have, like I said, those um, those number of children that that they can afford to have that they can provide uh, for uh, nutritious uh, nutritious food, enough food that they can provide an education for, um, so that those children from from the newborns to, to to adults they don't just survive but they but they thrive and they have a whole and they have a they have a productive life and that's and that's what this is about because there are 218 million women and girls in low and middle income countries who have what is called an unmet need for family planning and i think that's not very difficult concept to understand it is women and girls of childbearing age who would like to access a modern method of contraception, but are not able to due to a variety of barriers that Sarah has so eloquently um, and precisely described. Um, and in those those myths and misconceptions that exist, they exist everywhere. Um, any community you visit in the world, they will have a different set of myths and misconceptions about um, about family planning. Um, there will be those physical barriers of a four hour walk to a clinic is is a physical barrier it's also a four-hour walk to a clinic means that if you're a day laborer you are not working for a day and therefore you've given up your wage for a day so if you're already on the poverty line and you cannot work for a day that means you forgo food for yourself and for your family and you simply can't afford to do that because you you, you risk starve you risk your children dying of starvation it's just it, it's insane for us for us to think that especially when uh, and people like myself and you, Jack, we, you know, live in a country where that's, um, that's not very much a reality for people, but it's very important to keep in mind that this is a reality for an estimated 218 million women and girls, um, in low and middle income countries. So this is really about, this is really about responding, responding to those needs. So when we talk about the integration piece, it's because clearly, the the funding structure and the the um, the attention paid to the issue to the issue of voluntary rights based family planning 
whilst it, it is it is it is relatively high on on, on some countries uh, international development agendas and it has certainly had a revival in terms of attention after the 2012 family planning summit which the uk hosted and thanks to kind of some injections from villa melinda gates foundation um but but it's not enough it's not enough so the idea of the, the integration piece is how do we how do we work together across sectors to increase the attention in terms of policies and in terms of funding for this um for this uh, very important issue of 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 women and girls rights their empowerment and their health sarah what are some of the misconceptions that you've mentioned so obviously there's we've talked about various such as logistics and you said obviously some religious these often, what, what is it some of these, these people believe or they misbelieve about uh, contraceptives and family planning? Okay, yeah, to, to that, the list is really endless, but I'm going to highlight some of the common ones. Uh, the common misconceptions people have, they say that when you use family planning, uh, it increases infidelity. Uh, they, some people believe that the woman is going to look good and then other men are going to see her and they're going to, she's going to go out. But there we tell them if looking good, no, no one doesn't like to look good. So <laughs> it's up to someone's belief and, and, and someone's behavior. Uh, others think that when you use an implant, it can move to the head. <laughs> Others say the IUD can move through the uterus and when it reaches the heart, you will die. And others think that when you use uh, like the methods with hormones, they are going to bleed, like bleed to death or the blood is out of the body. Yeah, and others say if they swallow the pills, the contraceptive pills, they're going to pile in the body and cause lots of uh, like fibroids. If, is that a medical term? <laughs> Fibroids, like they're going to have lots of growth in their bodies. Um, yeah, and others say if they had a vasectomy done, it's going to make them important. So there are lots, lots of misconceptions. Um, they say uh, use of like a condom can cause cancer. And cancer is, they associate most of the contraceptives with cancer. So we have a role to play explaining all these misconceptions to the community that actually family planning might even contribute to reducing all the fears they have in themselves. Like contraceptives will help to reduce the cancers. Contraceptives will help to reduce even the growth of the fibroids. They will prevent that. So we have a law to explain that actually what they fear, family planning is going to help them overcome the fears they have. Yeah. Mm. And Sarah, that leads me on really nicely to my next question. So with Margaret Pike's work, what are some of the day-to-day -day improvements that you've seen uh, happening in women and young girls' lives? Okay. So like going to the project we have in Rechiga, where we work with integration with the, the environmentalists and the health workers, uh, we see that their livelihoods have improved. Women have enough time to go to their gardens and, and have beautiful gardens. They yield good crops because they have got that freedom. They have family planning and they can go and work in the field for as long hours they can manage. So the livelihoods improve. Um, we see that they have, they have also taken part in the saving groups where the little money they earn, they, they are in a saving group where they keep taking money and then they can borrow and bring a profit. So they, they are actively using the time and the, the money they have to make it grow. And we have seen most children are going to school because their parents can afford. Uh, before the start of the project, we had, we surveyed in the community and we listened to them what they believed in and what they felt they needed. 
And we saw they had many issues. They were facing domestic violence. Uh, they were facing lots of alcoholism in the community. Uh, they were facing the problems of saying they have shortage of land, poverty, poverty mentioned every time, everyone talking about poverty. So when we started working with them, we had where to start from because we had their own ideas, what they felt they needed to be done. So we, we've been working with them to support their livelihoods by whereby we've been helping them with some seedlings and then they can multiply it and multiply for the next seasons. Uh, we also helped to teach them how they can use the little land they have. They can, they can use the little land to grow more crops with good farming practices than how they previously were doing, digging it and then the, their land was losing value because they were not using it properly. So we have seen that improve, that they have learned how to use their land properly. Other areas are hilly and uh, they have to dig on a hilly area. So we had to teach them how to use the available hilly area to use it well and have good crops. Uh, we've taught them how to properly use the wetlands because uh, they use the wetlands more in the dry seasons to continue their farming. So we have been helping also to educate them how to use the wetlands and leave the space for the cranes to bleed because we have to leave and conserve the wetlands for other, other animals and birds to, to survive. So with that, we also helped to empower them by practicing family planning. They also had other issues with other health conditions, the health facilities being far from them. So we have also helped to address that where we have a team of health workers who reach to the community and serve them. So we educate, we have taught the health workers in the lower facilities. We gave them the family planning advanced training where they are skilled to offer contraceptives so that even the lower facilities which are available in their areas, they are able to access family planning, not just waiting for our teams to go out to them, but still the government facilities in the lower areas are able to help them. So we, we have held different community meetings where we have continued to increase the awareness to the men and women men are busy in our area here, men are so busy. It's not so easy to get them. Even when you call them for an event, uh, most women will turn up, but men will not. So we have arranged uh, meetings with men to make sure they are also aware of, of what we are offering and they are educated about family planning, the benefits and other health, health problems and as well as uh, conservation pro issues and uh, how to, to use their land, how to conserve the environment. So we have we have given lots of education how to even take care of the the litter, the garbage. If you moved in Uganda, you would see before how they used to to litter all the plastic bags, the empty bottles everywhere. It it was an an issue, but. Uh, during the the event, the the festival where Karina was talking about, we had a community cleaning uh, activity. So they were learning how to to, pre to protect the environment by proper disposal of the polythene bags. So we continue educating the community about that, telling them that these are not good for our environment. So. I have seen that change. It's much better. It looks better now because we have impacted the community in that area. Uh, most women are accessing contraceptives. Most people are coming for health services, even not necessarily the when they are sick, but they come for even prevention um, services. They even get the, the education. So we are looking into finding when the community is free from communicable diseases 
And then we move into fighting against the non-communicable diseases where we shall continue our education to the community. So I, I am so much hoping that our communities impact, are impacted by Margaret Pike Trust work, where in, in future, I think the community will be much better. They'll be well educated and their health will be taken care of. And the environment, I am sure it will be better than how we found it. Wonderful to hear, Sarah. Uh, Karina, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean it's hard because I love I I love listening to Sarah's to Sarah's accounts and the way and the way she describes it and I think it's such a testament to to integration uh, because Sarah has a medical and a health background and to hear her talking about climate smart agriculture techniques and the conservation actions that's exactly um, another aspect of of integration that's so important is that the project staff themselves all of us involved in the project. Uh, learn about the different the different areas. Uh, I guess Sarah didn't used to work in conservation, and now I bet I bet she could, and 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 effectively she does. So, yeah, a couple of the points that she mentioned, I want to uh, go over and highlight the 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 health aspect and the access to, of course, access to family planning uh, first and foremost. But as you can see, that family planning becomes becomes somewhat of an entry point. It's not that the project just focuses on family planning, but opens up a spectrum of health services that is so broad. As she said, people are coming for preventative care. People are coming for uh, vaccines, um, in, uh, immunizations for their children. They're coming for dental checkups. They're coming for eye checkups. Um, because you you might come with one thing, you or you might come with a pain in your knee, and you go away having had your eyes checked, your teeth checked, and you've now got an implant. So you are... You, you were able to access family planning so often that uh, that that access to family planning is such an entry point for a broader spectrum of sexual and reproductive health service provision cervical cancer screening etc so i think that's a really important point to make um in terms of the land the land is such um, is again an important aspect of this and um, she mentioned the small plots of land because the kind of communities we're talking about, they, these are really, these are subsistence farmers um, living on um, living on very, very small yields. Some do not have much um, excess yield to be able to sell in the marketplace. So these, uh, the access to alternative uh, and sustainable livelihood training um, tools, uh, instruments, et cetera, that the farmers have been receiving as part of the project is definitely is definitely paying off and they are also being trained in climate smart agriculture techniques and they were able to benefit from some of those techniques um uh for example there's some uh, special kind of plant called a caliandra plant that has been planted on some of the more um uphill farms that uh, sarah and i actually visited together um that uh work as carbon sinks they also work to prevent um soil erosion and runoff from from the uphill farms uh, going going further down into the valley so there there are as as we were saying before you're hitting those health you know you're achieving greater health goals greater gender goals and greater environmental and climate goals than you would with a single sector intervention because you're addressing all those issues in a holistic manner and now again how is that how is this programmatic work and this evidence that's being gathered how is that reflected at uh, the global level um, the uh, the international the sorry the intergovernmental panel on climate change so the scientific body that um, that advises the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change highlighted uh, family planning as um, a climate adaptation and resilience building strategy uh, in its fifth assessment report. Now the sixth assessment report has also come out or some early contributions to it had come out uh, last year and the rest of the report will be launched this year. And again, there are significant links between sexual reproductive health and family planning in particular as uh, being recognized as part of what holistic and strategic climate adaptation and resilience uh, should look like. So part of uh, climate resilience and climate adaptation. And if we think of the move to human rights-based and and people-centered approach to climate change, it's not difficult to see why why family planning um, is 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 such an important part of that and should increasingly be um, be considered. Thank you, thank you, Karina. 
So, Sarah, you've mentioned some really fantastic news there regarding how the life of these communities are changing and people are seeing um, already improvements in their lives. How would you like to see things sort of trend or how to, how to see things sort of materialise in the next five to ten years in your work and for the people that you work with? Yeah, so in the next five to ten years, yeah, <laughs> I think I think the community should really be responding better. As Karina has been saying, family planning is the entry of, of everything. Family planning, when well-practiced, helps to eradicate poverty. So I am looking at the community when they, they have gotten rid of poverty, they are able to plan well. They are able to earn money and save and take care of their health and improve education. So I'm looking at um, if, if people continue responding, which I think they will continue responding, we shall have our communities uh, getting rid, rid of poverty. We shall see our communities having enough food. No, uh, these days, food has really gone high. The prices have gone high. People barely afford two meals a day. They're just surviving on one meal a day. So I'm thinking in the next five to 10 years, people should be able to have food in their stores, not going to buy everything. They should be able to save and take care of themselves. I think our community should be having less communicable diseases as we have been educating them about good use of water, sanitation, and all that, we should be having less communicable diseases. And then we should be having less non-communicable diseases because we are also educating them about these other conditions, the diabetes, the hypertension. So they should be able to be having improved lives. Uh, we should be seeing more people, more children in schools, we should not be seeing lots of children not at school in the community. If you visited our community, you'd see lots of children around who are not very well cared for and they're just moving around because their parents can't afford school. I would see that in the next five to 10 years, all children should be affording to go to school because their parents should be planning on when to have them and, and how many to have and so what can I afford? More people should be studying. Um, we also talk to the young people. So I think we should be having a few or very reduced numbers of teenage pregnancies and uh, teenage marriages because the community should be well educated. And uh, I'm also thinking like all health workers in places where we work should be able to offer contraceptives because we aim at educating all of them so that they can integrate family planning services in all the services we, we they give. So maybe the component we didn't share with you is uh, we screen every person who comes to the facility for the unmet need for family planning, which Karina had described before. So even if they've come for a headache treatment or they have they have a dental problem, then we screen them for that met need. If we find they have an unmet need, then we offer them education and we offer the contraceptives. So this happens in the lower facilities where we work and in the outreach centers where we go to reach to the community, such that no one is left in the community with an unmet need for family planning. So we are assuming that uh, the health workers we have trained will be able to keep that going and uh, more health workers will be trained to keep it ongoing. So it's a sustainable thing, it's just waiting for us to come and help them. And uh, I think uh, we should have integrated this work in the government activities. They should have appreciated what we are doing and they are able to take it on and continue serving the community the way we have brought the vision, they should be able to see it's working so they can also adopt to, to our way of working. So I, I'm looking at a bigger 
achievement in the next five to ten years. Our community should be much, much better. Fantastic. That's wonderful to hear, Sarah. Um, Karina, so just before um Sarah made some points that you touched on some success successes that the policy and conservation has been having in a wider scope. Is there anything else you'd like to add um, regarding that? Also, what, what would you like to see in the next five to ten years? Because of course you're seeing a wider um wider scope of different projects going on in different areas. Um yeah, just wondered what your your thoughts were. Yes, yeah. I want to echo again what Sarah said about family planning is so I think the idea that I'd like to see, again, continuing to translate um, upwards is that idea that family planning, as you could see from the examples that Sarah mentioned and the process that the communities are, are following, is that, that this often leads to greater resilience of the communities. And that's what we mean by families that are better able to plan that are better able to choose are more resilient to the effects of climate change. I think Sarah described that very well. Um, we the idea we'd like to see is that that is increasingly reflected in national and in global policy. Um, and it also means that families that are more resilient, they're better able to adapt to the effects of climate change. And actually, when you are better able to plan, as Sarah uh, described so well, is that then there are effectively less pressures on the local environment, um, on the water resources, on the soil, et cetera, because families are better able to plan uh, and better able to use to use the natural resources. <clears throat> now, what does that look like in terms of policy? So, for example, Uganda is already quite ahead of the curve in that in Uganda's most recent nationally determined contribution. So, in their um, in their climate change position, uh, Uganda has included references to reproductive health programs as part of their priority adaptation targets. So effectively, there's been a lot of advocacy that has taken place, and um, Margaret Petras has been working closely with civil society partners in Uganda. We've done a lot of advocacy over the past five or six years to integrate health into their national climate policy. So that is ensuring that health is seen as a pillar of climate change, um, and Uganda has already gone a step further to highlight reproductive health uh, in in their national climate change policy. So we want to see that we want to see that translate into action on the ground and there is uh, there will be the development of a health nap in Uganda and in other countries as well. Um, we want to see that potentially rolled out as an East Africa model and other uh, not just East African, but it's a it's a good place to start because of the East African community and because some of the ministry and ministry functions that exist across East Africa. so that would allow for, learnings to be shared and roll out to happen across East Africa, learning from the process that Uganda has undertaken and other countries could potentially emulate that and ministries can work closely together to develop a health nap. Um, and so that is one way of ensuring reproductive health uh, is reflected, is better understood and is included in climate change response. Um, one thing I do want to say, we're not we're not here at all to suggest it's not that family planning is the only key to development is the key, but it is a key and it's very, very powerful. And there have been, you know, decades of research to show that for every $1 spent on family planning, six or $7 are saved in other development interventions. And that exact amount does, does change according to the study, but that is, that is one, but you can see, you can see why that is the case. So I just wanted to say that it is it's not the only key to development, but it's such it's such an important one. And many of some of the greatest development scholars in the past and and in the present would advocate for that that very uh, that key unlocking potential that family planning has because of what Sarah described around poverty reduction, women's empowerment, education, etc. And lastly, I just if I may, I want to turn to the global policy side of things, because this we believe this issue is is so key so the margaret pike trust we like to, we do have over 15 years 50 years of history uh and expertise in family planning so we are the only member of the international union for the for conservation of nature who also has 50 years of family planning expertise so we've put that expertise to good use and at the last world conservation congress we advocated very hard with the different constituencies that includes member governments, indigenous people organizations, and NGOs, uh, very well balanced from the global north, the global south, and 
we were able to pass with a landslide vote a resolution that for the first time at the IUCN recognized the removal of barriers to family planning as a conservation issue. And the passing of that resolution allowed us to set up a task force, the IUCN Biodiversity and Family Planning Task Force, which is a very important mechanism to start those conversations, not only within the IUCN, but the IUCN is such an important um, environmental body that then will allow us and has allowed us to engage with other um, environmental bodies, such as the Con uh, Convention of Biological Diversity and the the United Nations um, um, uh, COP, COP processes and then national climate processes. So we want to see more of that happening. We want to see a greater alliance of organizations um, working on this issue and, and and building and building on these successes. And then of course we want we want to see that at at the national level, where in those countries where the family planning needs and development challenges are greatest. Thank you. And finally, Karina, where can people find you and your work? They want to support you or donate or just see what you're up to. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, and perhaps you can, uh, at the end, just provide a link we've, uh, um, to the Margaret Pike Trust website, www.margaretpike.org. Um, you could see, uh, you see an overview. You Obviously, there's there's the training aspect of the work, but today we focused, we focused on the environment side of the work. So if you go onto the environment page, you will see, can see a link to our amazing project video. Uh, links to some of the recent policy work that we've done uh, with partners, including partners in Uganda, launching a guide for sexual reproductive health um, focused organizations who want to get involved in national climate policy. You can see a link to, to that guide. Uh, you can also see a link to our recent event that we hosted um, at the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change COP, COP27 in Egypt last year, focusing on how African countries are really leading the curve on uh, removing barriers to family planning in their national climate policies and what does that look like. Uh, that event features uh, Sarah and myself <laughs> and other and other members of the IUCN task force and other and other partners so uh, we welcome you to to look at our work and to and to get in touch with us if if you want to learn more or you'd like to support our work ladies thank you for your time thank you very much for thank having you. us jack thank you so much